0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Childhood Evolved podcast. I'm your host, Teacher Alex. This show is all about continuing to evolve the state of childhood forward. And like I say at the beginning of every episode, it wasn't that long ago in our history as humans that the state of childhood wasn't considered to exist at all. Nothing like we know it now to be. Children were You know, people had kids for a lot of reasons, maybe to help with the business or family business or work, and they would go work in the mills, and there was really no laws or protections or anything for them. And there was people who thought differently from the pack, who were a little bit rebellious, and foresaw a different future that was possible and worked to pull it into reality one step at a time. So they fought for it. They didn't give up on it. They were willing to become vulnerable. And over time, we got to the point where we're at today. And so we're so grateful and happy to be here with the way we look at childhood today and all the protections and everything that we give our children. And at the same time, we can look into the future and, and say, hey, there's a lot that we can improve. There's a lot of ways that this could become better in the future. And so if we work together, have these conversations, bring up these issues and unpack them, there's a lot of ways that we can continue to evolve the state of childhood forward and kind of walk alongside these visionaries and, and fight to bring these visions that we have into reality. Put one foot in front of the other. And that's what this podcast is all about. So the conversations that unfold from the questions to me, provide more insight and a deeper level of understanding than just getting simple answers. Um, What we often come up with actually is more questions. So thanks for being here today. I'm hoping that you'll hit subscribe and that way you won't miss anything when new episodes come out. Um, So yeah, it does feel good to be back. Apologies for dropping off the face of the earth for the last few years. I've had some time off from making episodes, but you know, part of that is that I had a lot to say when I first created this podcast and I had all these ideas and I recorded the episodes and published them, and the feedback was really good, and people got a lot out of it. And I don't want to say that I ran out of ideas, it's just the ideas that I had been building up for years, I was able to talk about and record and get them out there. So that felt good. And then COVID hit, and COVID kind of turned everything upside down on its head. You know, I wasn't working so much in the preschool like like everyone else, like so many other people. I was on lockdown in my house and doing virtual preschool teaching, whatever, whatever that means, for a few months. Um, And then getting back into work and just really focusing on all the crazy cleaning and procedures we had at that time. So it was a weird, 2020 was obviously a weird year. It was very isolating for me. I was on my own in Los Angeles. My family had moved back to Rhode Island. And I was spending a lot of time on my own. You know, when we talk about bubbles during COVID, well, I didn't really have anyone in my bubble. Except my turtle and uh, the kids at work eventually because we went back by July of 2020. And it's, it was the kind of year, I think, for a lot of us, personally and collectively, when we started thinking about and dealing with things that we hadn't in a long time or maybe ever. Part of that's because we had a lot of time on our hands to sit and reflect. There was a lot of, like, triggery stuff like death and dying and COVID. And then there was George Floyd and the protests over the summer. And so part of it was things that we had time to think about, but part of it was things that we could no longer ignore, like different inequities and things that were happening with racial and social justice and things that were happening with the health system were kind of in our face in a way that we couldn't really tune them out and ignore them anymore. And, you know, for a lot of us, we didn't want to anymore. So it kind of pushed us to start dealing with more of these difficult topics. And so... In the last few months, I've thought about getting back onto the show, back into podcasting. I've had time to build up some more of my own ideas. I So like I've talked about a lot, I was a preschool teacher for 10 years. And what happened last year was I started to think about moving back home to Rhode Island on the East Coast and looking at jobs and things like that. I took a job at administration and leadership, which is something I've thought about a lot for quite some time. So I'm in a job now as a supervisor and a manager in a, a really good program here in Rhode Island. I'm back with my family but it was really a hard shift for me to come from LA and all my friends and my whole life there and move back to Rhode Island where I'm from and that brought up a lot of mental health issues for me just anxiety and things that hadn't been properly dealt with and so having successfully worked through all that I was thinking about the show and like yeah there's a lot of difficult topics with children that we don't want to talk about that we haven't in the past and maybe now is the time we hadn't talked that much about racism and race and 2020 was like a stimulus to start talking about it a lot more, to look at the children's books we have available, the different schools I've worked at, the trainings around anti-bias education, justice, equity, diversion, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and just realizing that there's a lot that children can take in, even at that young age. And there's a lot that's happening from birth where they are showing bias already, and they're showing, you know, you could call it racism or, or pre-racism, if you will, like, Babies when they're six months are showing preference for white faces in certain situations. And so, no, it's not that well. We'll just deal with that when they're older. You've already missed a lot if you wait. Um, similar, like, death and dying is something you may not have to ever deal with until all of a sudden it comes up and it's in your face and you have someone that's very close to you that has died, whether it's a pet or a grandparent or a parent. And all of a sudden we're, we're like, in panic mode because we have to deal with how to support children and families in processing this. Whereas if we kind of deal with it all along as best we can, little by little, it might not be so overwhelming when it comes up, or even when it comes up for someone around us, someone we know, like a classmate or a friend. Um, I would put sexuality in the same category. We tend to want to believe as a culture that this doesn't exist for children, and it's just something we can put off till they're older. And again, when you actually look at research and what's actually happening, you know, it's present in different forms from, from birth for children. And we want to be supportive and available to them so that they don't have to go off on their own and just generate their own ideas, their own answers to questions, get information from peers or even from the internet when they're a little older. So to me, that kind of resonates in the same category. Uh, Gender and gender identity forming talks about religion and spirituality and God, whether it's difficult because you don't want to talk about it at all, or, or maybe you don't want to talk about the different perspectives than the one you have or it's just a lot, it's just a lot to deal with, and just to rewind and kind of take a step back from all of this, you know, when we're thinking about, when we're thinking about our parenting, our teaching, or our leadership, it can be helpful to take a step back and look at what are the values that are just underneath all of this, and I connect to leadership in particular because I I did become a supervisor and a manager full-time this year instead of just part of the time in my work, and Like so many other things, if I am faced with a situation where an employee is pushing back or not agreeing with me, and I just immediately go into that, well, I'm just going to tell them they have to do it this way, and that's it, I'm the boss. You know, that's how it was obviously put to me, put to a lot of us by managers over many years, and it's not something I liked when I was on the receiving end, and it's not something that I found to be very effective as a leader or when I'm taking actual courses on leadership and management and realizing that people need a lot of autonomy and they need to feel successful through their own efforts. And so if I'm in a stressed out situation where I get into a little bit of a power struggle, it's not going to end as well as reflecting on my own values. What do, who do I want to be as a leader? How do I want to consciously create that? And that's something I've been working on over the past year. And for me, like I've maybe talked about on the show, I, I do a lot of journaling when I was a teacher, I would just write down something if it didn't go well, instead of shame spiraling and feeling awful. Like, uh, I would say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or just get really overwhelmed in a situation. Uh, I remember one day it was like nap time and nobody was sleeping. The kids were walking around the room, running around the room, whatever, pulling pictures off the wall. This was when I was like a brand new teacher. And I just remember the end of the journal entry was so-and-so came up with a glass jar full of her own hair that she had cut and dropped the glass on the floor and it broke. That's where the journal entry ends. So it's kind of funny to look back on it now. But, you know, at the time it was really overwhelming. So my strategy was to write it down, get it out, and then I can think about it or reflect on it another day. I do that now as a leader and a manager. I give myself feedback in that way, but I also I have opened up an anonymous survey from my staff to tell me what they think, and and they do because it's anonymous. They write all kind of stuff in there, and it's can be painful at times, but it's also really helpful to see how do people feel and and what are they thinking when they interact with me, and like how can I actually make sure I'm I'm hitting home the way I want to, having the impact I want to, because really our intentions only matter so much. What is the actual impact of what I'm saying and doing? on the staff, and and then that's going to filter down to the children, right? So I want that feedback, um, even if it's hard. And so it can be the same with parenting. You want to reflect on what your values are, because without this reflection, you're maybe just going to revert back to how it was when you grew up. You may find yourself just saying things or having a certain tone or emotion that, that your parents had when you were little or one of your teachers or whoever the case may be. And that's going to happen to all of us, and it's going to happen a lot. A good example is like we try not to say, good job as teachers, you know, but it's so ingrained in our culture that we're occasionally going to say, good job. And it's just going to come out and we can correct for it and say something a little bit better instead, like, you worked so hard to put that coat on. So it's our opportunity to take conscious control and to end up becoming the parent, the leader, the boss, or the teacher that we really want to be to kind of craft that. Uh, And we're not just going to get to from A to B automatically with no you know, with no challenge or no none of these small little failures, that's actually how we learn and how we grow. And so that's really what I'm hoping to do with the show overall, and especially in this next few series of episodes um, where we bring up these issues and talk about them one by one. I'm, I'm going to have some experts on the show and do some interviews and also just share with you some of the resources, things that I like to read or study that have helped inform my thinking I'm a really big fan of having like the right books for children. There's some really good books out there for dealing with racism or for dealing with sexuality that target different age groups. So there might be a really good book for um, elementary school child. There's also really good books for preschool age children on all of this stuff. Um, You might not want to read something like the 1619 Project with a three-year-old. It might be a little bit too much at that age. Also heavily depends on your kid and how they're going to process that and if it's going to give them nightmares or if it's going to help them kind of be more reflective you know your own child better than anyone else so that's a big piece of the puzzle too Um, I would also talk about the news and like violent things like school shootings that come up and how do we deal with that with children do we just try our best not to talk about it or do we find a way to open it up you know the thing about kids is there's not going to be this one big moment where they they sit you down and they say here's all what I want to know about sexuality or racism or school shootings. You know, it's little clues. It's little comments, little behavioral clues. And it's often things that they don't do or don't say that can kind of clue you in. And if you're watching carefully and you're an observer of your child, you're going to know when you need to plant a little seed or just be open. You want to be open to having these topics and not sending a message that, oh, we don't talk about that or that that's an unsafe topic to bring up. And it's these little kind of micro check-ins about all this stuff. You know, a couple exchanges back and forth about something that you see outside when you're out in public or on the news or during a movie. Talk about it. Feel your child out. Maybe they don't want to talk in depth or maybe they do. And then you move on. You've planted the seed. You've shown them that, hey, this is a safe topic to bring up. We can talk about racism or bias Um, because you know that's that's hard even with adults to talk about implicit bias if you go on the harvard implicit bias website which you can find you can google harvard implicit bias test you can take tests on racism and ageism and all of these things and they're going to show you by like how long of a delay there is where you push a button and associate things that are so called positive or negative like let's say they want you to pair black faces or white faces with happy or sad or violent words you know and they they actually time like how long the delay is when you push the button so it's pretty interesting how they do it but you're going to find that you do have a bias and we're born with a bias you know the human brain had to survive tens of thousands of years ago by actually looking at people who were different or unknown situations and being biased and kind of doing the fight or flight that was really adaptive a long time ago but it's not so much now. So it's not that we need to shame ourselves for having these biases, we just want to be aware of them so we can start to counteract them. And similarly with like sexuality, if our children pick up like, oh, we don't talk about that, that's bad, dirty, shameful, or wrong, You know, or we're just like refusing to see that it exists, or whatever, then they're going to get the message, well, that's not something we can bring up. So they're going to go ahead and find their own way to get their information, whether it's from peers or the internet or just making stuff up that makes sense to them. And we don't necessarily want them to do that. We want to keep these lines of communication open. So you have to reflect on your own values. You know, what were you raised with? What do you want to pass on to your children? What do you not want to pass on to your children that might be rattling around somewhere inside of you? What was taboo? What was off limits when you were growing up in Were there areas of knowledge or information that were kind of held out of your reach that you wish you had more information on or more discussion around? And, you know, I'm hoping in the next few episodes to actually get into details of how to do this. When is the right time? When is the right place? You know, how young is too young? How old means you've missed something? And like, how much information is too much with violence in the news or sexuality or racism? You know, we can't just kind of go with our gut on those all the time because, like Oscar Wilde said, "Everything popular is wrong." There's a lot of wisdom in that quote. Um, our society and culture at large doesn't really accurately see sexuality or racism or any of these difficult topics the way they actually are. We kind of are in denial about a lot of things, like including death and dying. You know, if you're born, you're going to die. Like it's the two kind of go together, right? And so, kind of refusing to think about it isn't really adaptive for us in the long run. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to have an expert on death and dying. She's actually a death and dying midwife or doula back in Los Angeles. So I'm going to have her on the show very soon and do an interview and talk about death and dying. So I'm hoping you'll hit subscribe. And that's really going to allow you to be the first to know when a new episode is ready to go. And I'd also encourage you to check out my website www.childhoodevolved.com. It's newly updated and there's a PDF that I just wrote up recently called Five Surprising Ways to Show Kids You Care. It was a lot of fun to write. There's some really good tips in there and you can go ahead and grab a copy of that on the website and you'll have an opportunity to join my mailing list as well. Uh, Until next time, keep evolving.